morning, everybody. Would you guys stand with us as we get ready for worship? Amen. Good morning, Burlington Baptist. Good to see you this morning. I'm going to look out there and see if I see any guests this morning. If if you're a guest, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, If you would go to the welcome desk at the end of the service, they would love to give you some information about the church and even give you a gift. 
uh, but we're thankful that you're here. Uh, just uh, hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, want to say a special congratulations. Brother Jeff's not in here right now, but he became uh, Grandpa Jeff this week, and uh, Isabel... Isabel Ann was born on Monday, eight pounds, two ounces, and uh, is doing well. And, uh, and so congratulate Grandpa if you see him out there this morning. Miss Laura's got a birthday tomorrow, so wish Miss Laura a happy birthday. And Miss Donnie Flynn turns 90 today. And so just uh, listen, when, when people aren't here, we can just call out there. Anybody else got a birthday today? Or uh, Who's that back there? Dave? Dave, happy birthday, Dave. Yeah, well, good, good. Well, happy birthday to you, and uh, we welcome those joining us uh, online. We know that uh, COVID numbers are up, and so a lot of our folks are online, and we just want to say a welcome to you. A couple of announcements tonight at 6, we'll have Hanging of the Greens. I know a lot of our folks love that service. We'll be streaming it tonight. If, uh, if you're not able to make it, uh, we'll have that online, Lord willing, and uh, that'll be at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, today's the last day to give to our Sunrise Children uh, Services. Uh, our goal is 2500 and that goes for Sunrise Ministry for Children in Kentucky. And then uh, starting next week, we'll be collecting for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Listen, I'm really excited about uh, our goal this year is going to be $20,000. That's a lot. And uh, we can do that. We just had to give a little extra. I think last year we had 18-something. And uh, there's never been a year where the need is greater than this year. And so uh, save you, don't save you pennies, but uh, save you your 20s and 50s and those things. And this goes to send missionaries. I uh, was texting, uh, messaging with Kyle, uh, Kyle and Molly. Uh, they're at their new location now and excited about where they're at. And uh, they're going to do a little video for us this month to kind of give us an update. But continue to pray for Kyle and Molly. And uh, we'll start collecting for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering next uh, Sunday. And I think that's it. Let's pray, and, uh, and then we'll worship the Lord this morning. Father, we want to come this morning, and we just want to bow before you and acknowledge that you're God, and uh, you're all-powerful, almighty, and uh, we acknowledge the needs around us, the needs of our country and our world. Lord, uh, we acknowledge this virus, and we want to pray for those who are battling it. We pray for those even in our church uh, that are dealing with it right now. We pray for their healing, their recovery. We pray for our health care workers. Lord, give them endurance during these difficult days. Bless our leaders. Uh, we pray for wisdom for them. And uh, Lord, for those that uh, are listening online, we pray for them this morning for encouragement and protection. Lord, for those who are anxious, we pray you would you know, just calm them and invite them to cast all their cares upon you. Lord, thank you that you care for us. And uh, we pray that you might speak to us this morning through song and through your word that we might be able to encourage one another. Lord, we pray that the gospel would go out. Lord, we pray for Kyle and Molly and our missionaries around the world as they uh, give of themselves to make Christ known. We pray for the lost this morning. Even in this room, we pray that if there's a lost person here that they might hear the good news and, and turn to Jesus and be saved. And we would rejoice in that. And uh, we just want to particularly invite you into this service. Lord, we know you're with us, in us, Christ in us, and the Spirit dwells within us. But, uh, but even more than that, we want to invite you to be here and, and uh, speak to our hearts this morning. Make us conform us into the image of Christ for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand back up with us this morning as we sing. 
right, you guys have a seat for a minute. And while the girls switch spots, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about it. We did this song uh, Friday night on our, and we've done it a couple of times before on some of our Friday nights, but we haven't done it in church. And uh, I just think about uh, the words of this song. And uh, sometimes when we go to God, we give him little pieces of ourselves. We don't give him the whole thing. We just kind of give him a little bit of, uh, of ourselves here and say, well, I'm going to hold on to this. But um, we are thankful that God gives us his whole self every time. Uh, we should probably do the same. on every 
Thank you for that. Some good stuff in that song. His love's not passive, is it? Say no. No, his love is active, and it was demonstrated on the cross. Thank you, Danny. And uh, that's good. That's good. It's not passive, and uh, he doesn't hide himself to tease us. He's revealed himself in his word, and, and the more we want of God, we just get in the word, and we find him here. And so if you have your word this morning, I invite you to turn to Job chapter 42, the last chapter of the book of Job. And uh, we're going to look at the revelation and the reward of God in suffering. And uh, this will be our last, uh, the end of our study in Job, when life gets tough. And hopefully God's used this to, in your life. And hopefully we're better prepared for suffering uh, when we get the, the phone call or the knock on the door or the, the tragic news or the dreaded test results. Hopefully we have come to learn some things about the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and the grace of God, the power of God. We see all those things in this book. And uh, hopefully we've come to treasure God more than anything that this life has to offer. And so uh, Job chapter 42, uh, I invite you to stand and uh, we'll read together this we're going to try to cover 38 through 42, and we're not going to read every verse this morning. I'd encourage you to. Uh, those last few chapters of Job is powerful. The revelation and the reward of God in suffering. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And Father, we, we know that you don't hide yourself from us, but you have revealed yourself primarily in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And you have given us uh, this word uh, that reveals you to us. We thank you for that revelation. We thank you that we can know you, not just about you, but we can know you personally. And Lord, I pray today that we might see you even more clearly for who you are. Lord, you're good. And we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So as we travel through Job, we started in chapter 1 and we met this man named Job. He was blameless and upright, feared God, shunned evil. There was no one like him. And uh, we saw this heavenly courtroom and, and uh, Satan comes and God uh, mentions Job and says there's no one like Job. And of course, Satan makes this accusation. Well, the reason that, that he fears you and you've been so good to him and you've blessed him. And if you took all that away, then he'd curse you. And so God gives Satan permission to come against Job, and that's what Satan does. He takes all of his children, ten of them, takes his livestock, 
takes his health, takes everything. And so we've seen Job lose everything and suffer the most severe suffering imaginable to man. These three friends come and, and they sit with him for a while and mourn with him seven days. But then they begin to make some false accusations. Uh, they begin to, to question his integrity and they really multiplied his suffering. And then in chapters 32 through 37, this guy named Elihu, he shows up and, and offers some insights. And when we come to chapter 38, God himself speaks. And so if you turn over to chapter 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said. And so God has some things to say to Job. He wants to kind of set the record straight in some ways. And so the first thing that we notice is the revelation of God. The revelation of God. So really from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 38, God has been silent and not spoken a word. And now God speaks out of a whirlwind, out of a storm. If we had our preference, uh, we'd probably prefer for God to speak in that still small voice. Uh, but God here speaks uh, in a whirlwind. And uh, if we had our preference, we'd just say, God, just kind of lay it all out so I can understand it. And uh, what we notice, what I want us to see in, is the prerogative of God. God chose to speak through a fierce whirlwind that blew across the landscape. Often, and I, some of you understand this, but often uh, God speaks most loudly through the storms of life. Because it's in those storms that He has our full attention. Again, C.S. Lewis said that He whispers in our pleasures. He speaks to our conscience, but He shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Now, if you recall, Job has said some things about God, even to the point of almost convoluting his character uh, here's what Job wanted through his suffering. First of all, Job wanted an explanation from God. If you go back to chapter 3 for just a moment, uh, we see this word or this question, why? And, and Job asked that a lot, and, and we ask that a lot sometimes when we're going through suffering. Verse 11, why did I not die at birth? Why did, verse 12, why did the knees receive me? Verse 16, why was I not hidden, stillborn child? Verse 20, why? Verse 23, why? And so he has lots of questions for God. And matter of fact, in the book of Job, there are 290 questions. There are 28 why questions in the book of Job. And so Job wanted an explanation for his suffering. Job also wanted vindication from God. How many times has Job said, well, I just want to present my case before God. I, I want him to give me an audience. I want God to vindicate me. Job 13.3, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. And so Job wanted an explanation, and he wanted vindication from God. What did he get? Well, Job got an interrogation by God. Chapter 38, verse 2. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And God's going to really ask him some questions, and uh, we get to be the audience. Who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Verse 3, dress for action like a man, or brace yourself like a man. God wants Job to be ready for what's about to happen 
Job is about to get more than what he had bargained for, you see. He wanted an audience with God. He had some questions for God. And now God has a few questions for Job. And verse 4 is the first question. Where were you when I laid the foundation? And so uh, if you keep reading in chapter 38, there's about 70 questions. It's kind of a barrage. Of course, it's kind of like a machine gun. Job, I, let me ask you a few questions. And here God begins to, to hammer down on him. And, and uh, what we notice in the questions that come from God is, is, first of all, the power of God. God is going to show his power in, his, uh, in, in several different ways. I'm going to mention three of them. First of all, God is creator. And so, verse 4, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. In, in other words, God says, Job, I, I, when I go back to creation, I don't remember seeing you there. Where, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And, and notice just God's power demonstrated in creation. Verse 5, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its basis sunk or who laid its cornerstone so God is taking Job back to creation and saying who who is the one who put all this together and laid the foundation and set the cornerstones verse 7 when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy or who shut the sea with doors when it burst out of from the womb you ever think about that the sea and how powerful it is and yet it only comes so far and then it goes back out and God has set the boundaries for the sea and so he said, Job, who, who did that? Who, who shut them out? Verse 9, when I made clouds, its garments, and thick darkness, its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and, and said, thus far shall you come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place? And so again, he's, he's talking about, he's, he's the one who set all this up in creation, and Look down to verse 18. Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this, where is the way of the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness? That you may take it to its territory, that you may discern the past to its home. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you been around since the beginning? And obviously the answer, that's no. I, Job would have said, no, 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 no. Verse 22. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you, I mean, this, the storehouses of the snow. But just think about that. I mean, God might open a storehouse tomorrow and give us a little. But this, have you gone to the storehouse of the snow where I store the snow? Or, or how about the, the ice, the hail, the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? I mean, he just kind of walks through all of his, the elements of, of, of nature verse 28 uh, has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew from whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of heaven i mean we enjoyed the frost this morning didn't we that god says i i, I hold all that verse 34 can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you here we are who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of, of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick together? I mean, I mean, we have dust on the ground and God just opens up a little rain and that dust turns to mud. 
God said to Job, can, can you do that? And so what God is doing is taking Job on a tour of his creation. And, and he's saying, Job, look at what my hand has created. And so not only is God our creator, but God is our sustainer. Verse 39, can you hunt the prey for the lion and satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thickets? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wonder? I mean, who feeds all the animals? There's millions and millions. Who feeds all of them, Joe? God's not only the creator, but he's the sustainer of life. Chapter 39, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the cabin of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young? You know, just thinking about all the animals all over the world that give birth, and God is the audience of all those births. The young ones become strong. They grow up in the open and go out and do not return to them. And so he's the one who gives life. Verse 9, is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes? Or will he hollow the, the valleys for you? I mean, God even controls the beast. I mean, there's big animals on this earth. And, and God says, listen, I, I control those animals. I gave birth to them. I control them. Uh, the ostrich in, in verse uh, 13, the wings of the ostrich wave proudly. But are they the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot could may crush them, and that wild beasts may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain. Yet she has no fear, because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share of understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the... I mean, she's an ostrich is faster than a horse. Because that's the way God made the ostrich. And, and yet, you, we say, why does the ostrich not have any sense? Well, because God didn't give the ostrich sense. Verse 17, she, she has no understanding. And so there's lots of mysteries in creation. We can't fathom the power and the ways of God. I mean, back in 38, there, there's a couple of verses, 25 and 26. It says, who has cleft a, a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt? To bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man. And so, why does it rain in places where there's no people? And, and you know, we, we would ask that question. Well, why would it rain in the desert when there's nobody there? And, and uh, maybe the reason that we would even ask that is because somehow we think that creation revolves around us. Man. And the answer is that God would bring rain to a land even though it doesn't affect man because it would be for his good pleasure. He, he doesn't need a reason. He, he didn't ask us, well, would this be beneficial? See, he's our creator and our sustainer. He is God and creation does not revolve around us, but God himself is for his glory and for his pleasure. And then thirdly, God is Savior. When we get to chapter 40, he, God pauses for a moment and really gives Job an opportunity to respond. And, and we'll come back and look at that. But, but Job has kind of been questioning God's governance of the universe. And so in 40, picking up in verse 6, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? And so God says, Job, be careful questioning me. Verse 9, have you an arm like God? 
Can you thunder with a voice like His? No. Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase them. Can, 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 you don't have an arm like mine. You don't have a voice like mine. You, you can't deal with the wickedness and the pride of man. Verse 14, then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Job, do you have the power to save you? No, no, no. To all these questions would be no. And in the rest of chapter 40 and 41, God uh, questions Job in regards to two of his creations. Uh, behemoth, in verse 15, uh, literally super beast. Uh, most believe it's probably a hippo. Some would dare say it's a dinosaur, but, but most think it's a hippo. And there's a description of the, the muscles in its belly in verse 16, and its tail is like a cedar. It's knit together. Verse 18, his bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God, the ways of God. And so there's behemoth, and then Leviathan is in chapter 1, verse 1. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? That, that word literally means sea monster. Most people believe that that's something akin to the crocodile. And, and, uh, and so he gives this description. I like verse 8. Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You'll not do it again. And so, in other words, if you try to get a hold of maybe the crocodile, you only do it one time because uh, it'll put the whooping on you. And in verse 10 is, no one is so fierce that he dares to steer him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Job, you can't stand before the beast that I have created, and, uh, and so you probably shouldn't question me. And listen, God is all-powerful. Uh, he is... Uh, Everything on heaven and earth is under His control. And so not only do we see the prerogative of God and the power of God, but notice the purposes of God. When we get to chapter 42, Job says, verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so God's purposes are guaranteed. They cannot be thwarted. Now, don't miss this in Job. Job is saying this, and yet he has no idea what God's purpose was. He, he wasn't there. He, he doesn't have the book of Job where he gets to read one, chapters 1 and 2 and, and realize that this was a thing between Satan and God. And he, he didn't know about that conversation, and, and we do, and that brings us some comfort. But, but what we do know is that Satan's attacks on God's people only serves to accomplish God's purpose. And so when we come to the end of Job, uh, we know that everything that Satan has done and everything that he has brought against Job, God has used it to accomplish his purposes. And so we have seen the revelation of God. Let me just quickly point out the response of Job. How could any of us answer God? He is the creator. Uh, he didn't send for us to stand as, uh, to serve as his advisors. Uh, when he decided to create the world. And, and so I mentioned that when we got to chapter 40, that God pauses in his questioning and uh, allows Job uh, an opportunity. And uh, Job is beginning to understand the greatness and the power of God. And, and so what we see in chapter 40 is that Job is silenced. Look at verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, I will not, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. 
In other words, I said some things in the past, and uh, they were pretty empty and unfounded, and uh, I, I think I'll just hush, and I'll put my hand over my mouth, and uh, man, that's probably some good advice for us sometimes, isn't it? Is just be quiet when we don't know. Uh, and so Job is silenced, but yet he had questioned some things about the, the nature of God, the justice of God, and the fairness of God. And so God is going to kind of continue with his interrogation. And so, again, starting in chapter 40, verse 6, through the end of 41 is, is more questions. And by the time that God finishes his interrogation, what we see is that Job surrenders. 42.3, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I, I said things that I really didn't know anything about. Verse 6, Therefore I despise myself and repent and dust and ashes. And, uh, and so we see that Job has been brought to repentance. Uh, Job recognized that, that uh, he was in the wrong and that he couldn't argue with God. And, and he is humbled before God. And uh, in dust and ashes. And, and now listen, Job doesn't confess sin that caused his suffering. And we, we've already talked about that. His friends accused him of that, but, but that wasn't the case. He, if he sinned, it was in his accusations, uh, judgments uh, about matters that he didn't understand. In uh, some of his accusations that God was unfair, unjust. Some have said that Job is really repenting of having such a small view of God. And uh, if we should repent of that, I'd say most of us should repent of having a small view of God because he's so much bigger than what we can even imagine. And so the results of God's revelation to Job was humbling. And uh, it led to repentance. And, and church, that's what the word of God does for us. Uh, it's it's living and active. It's sharp. It it discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts. That's why we need to be in the Word and and let the Word do its work in our hearts. And often it leads us to to repentance and uh, and revival even when we respond to the Word. Something else that we see here is is reconciliation. Verse seven. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite. My anger burns against you and against your two friends. Why was God angry with them? Because they had not spoken of me what was right. And so God probably addressed Eliphaz. He was the oldest. And he was angry because they misrepresented him, God, to Job. And they did it in a time when he was weak and hurting. And so in order to make a covering for their sins, God tells them, verse 8, here's what I want you to do. Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And so seven bulls and seven rams. I mean, that was, that's a pretty huge requirement for three men. And uh, I think it shows us how upset God was with these counselors. And so they did what they were told. That's, that's a good idea. Uh, and... and uh, Go and take these to Job, and I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to his folly, for you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shudite and Zophar the Zemanite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayers. And so uh, they brought the sacrifices, and then Job prayed for them, and got it. Uh, and I was just thinking, 
yesterday and this morning about this, that God made Job pray for these friends. And these friends had kind of become his enemies. And I thought, well, you know, just in the divisiveness that we live in, uh, what a difference it would make if we prayed for our enemies. God's already told us to love our enemies. But what do we pray for them? And, and I would suggest that if we prayed for our enemies, they wouldn't be our enemies. Uh, we would begin to have a heart for them like God does. And so maybe a challenge this morning is to take your worst enemy and add them to your prayer list. And every day bring them before the Lord and uh, ask God to do a work in their life. And uh, Job, so he prayed for these friends and, and God forgave them. And, and then we see the restoration of Job. Uh, we read the end of Job and in verse 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. In uh, verse 12, he blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. He had 14,000. In the beginning, he had 7,000. Now he has 14. He had 6,000 camels. He had 3,000. He had 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And so he, he had twice what he had in the beginning. And verse 13 says that he had uh, seven sons and three daughters. And, uh, and so he's given more children. Now, I'm going to just point out a, a couple things that's really important here. The, the restoration didn't remove the hurt and pain from his previous children. Uh, that, that suffering was still real. I mean, you can have more children and yet you still remember and you can have grandchildren and they make you feel good, but you still... So it doesn't eliminate the previous suffering. And number two, the point of Job is, is not trust God and get all your stuff back. I just really want you to understand that. That's not the point. That Getting your stuff back is not the important point that Job is, is trying to teach us because life doesn't always end this way. You all know that, don't you? It doesn't always have a, this kind of ending. And so we can ask the question, why does Job end this way? And I think the answer is because it teaches us that suffering does not have the last word. God has the last word. Suffering does not have the last word. Suffering, cancer, disease, tragedy, Satan do not have the last word. God has the last word. I mean, at the cross, Satan thought he was victorious. But three days later, God had the last word and there was a resurrection. And listen, the same is going to be true at the end. Satan's going to be cast into the lake of fire. And so listen, Job's restoration was secondary. We've got to understand that. And that gets us to the last point, the, the reward of Job. The, the reward of Job is not that God gave him twice the possessions that he had to start with. I already said that Job's greatest treasure was God. Go back to chapter 1, verse 21. The, and Job said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job knew that I, didn't, I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. God can give. God can take away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And so I believe that we see the reward of Job in verse 5. Job 42, 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And so Job had heard about God. And he has seen God through the eyes of faith. I mean, church, that, that's the way we see God is through faith. And so, but now, 
Job has a better grasp of the greatness of God and the majesty of God and the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and the glory of God. And, and again, I'm, I'm reminded over the years of, of people that I've talked to who have gone through tragedies and losses and said to me, I, I came to know God in such a powerful way. I came to know God in such a personal way. And, and people said, I, I wouldn't change the suffering just because of the way that I now know God. I've heard that so many times. And I've often said, wow, that's, that's amazing that God has revealed himself to you in such personal ways. And, and so I believe that Job's earthly reward was a greater revelation of God. And so let's look past an earthly reward and get to verse 17, and Job died, an old man full of days. I don't know who's calling me on Sunday, but probably the extended warranty in it. Uh, but it ends with Job died. I mean, you all knew Job died, didn't you? And isn't that the way life is? Uh, it, it's the way our story is going to end. We're, we're going to die. But Job's greatest reward is enjoying the presence and the glory of God for all eternity. I mean, Paul got a taste of that. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, Paul said in Romans 8, 18, the, I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Anything that we go through is not to be compared to what God has in store for us. And so as we come to the end of Job, the most important question for each of us is, do you know for sure that you will enjoy God for all eternity? Do you know for sure that you'll enjoy God for all eternity? And listen, I, I, I look at it. Life's been hard for some of you, and, and some of you know much about suffering and some of you haven't faced that much suffering yet, but the most important thing is for you to know Christ and for you to know Him personally. Uh, the Christ who will walk with you through that suffering and the Christ who endured the, the severest of, of all suffering. He endured the suffering of the cross, all that we might be rescued, you and I, from eternal suffering so that you and I could have uh, eternity with Him and uh, be rescued from a real place called hell. And so do you know for sure that you will enjoy Christ for all eternity? And there are other ways to end this book. But I think that's the most important question for us, is, is knowing for certain that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. And, and so this morning we're going to have a time of invitation, and we're going to take some time and partake of the, the Lord's Supper. And... Uh, be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And listen, be, because of the cross, we can have the forgiveness of our sins and, and we can be restored into a relationship with God and we can have the hope of eternal life. And, and so this morning, we want to remember and, and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And so pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and Lord, thank you that you revealed yourself to us and you sent Jesus and uh, you, you provided a way for us to be saved. And Lord, we're all going to end up like Job. We're going to die. Unless you come back, we're going to die. 
hearts. Lord, we need to have our sins forgiven and we need to be in a right relationship with you. And, and so this morning you've given us another opportunity for that. And we thank you for your long suffering towards us, your patience towards us. We thank you that you have sent us uh, your word that tells us how to be saved. You're not trying to play games with us. You're not making us jump through hoops. You're simply inviting us to turn from our sins and believe upon Jesus. And I pray that if there's a person here without Christ, that today they'll come to you and acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand? And uh, I just want to invite you to take a few moments, prepare your heart to observe the Lord's Supper and and that question is do you know for sure that you're going to be with Jesus for all eternity and if you don't know for sure I'd love to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus and so I invite you to respond this morning
singing this morning listen doesn't that bless you to know that god's for you yeah he's i mean we see in the book of job that uh, satan wants to kill steal and destroy he wants to take from you and and jesus said i come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly and uh, he wants to to bless us and i'm not talking about material stuff uh job ended up with twice what he had but but he got twice as much of god and uh, God wants to bless us with himself. He's for us. And so we praise the Lord for that. You can be seated for a moment. And uh, Joe, if you want to come up here. This is Joe Davis. Y'all might have seen him around for a little while. Uh, Katie, how long has he been around? Over a year. All right. All right. So Joe, I uh, got to talk to him for a while. And uh, just really like this guy. And uh, He wants to be a part of Burlington Baptist. And uh, would you all welcome him? Katie's clapping, so uh, I guess if she's for you, then we're we're going to be with with her because uh, we think a lot of her. And so, uh, welcome. He comes from Sparta Christian Church. Been baptized when he was seventeen as a believer, and uh, and uh, we know God's hands up on him, and we're excited for him. And so, welcome to Burlington Baptist. And uh, I guess if you see him out there in the hallway, wave at him, uh, since we don't do the handshaking thing anymore. But uh, welcome to to Burlington Baptist, brother. All right. Amen. 
This morning, we're going to remember the Lord's sacrifice. If, if you don't have the juice and bread, we have some deacons. If you just hold your hand up, they would be glad to, to serve you. Anybody need that? You, you need that, Rod? Yeah, we'll get Rod one. So uh, we're using these prepackaged things again. Be careful to pull that top layer off the bread. Uh, if you pull the juice off first, it could be messy. Uh, if you're able to get your bread out, take your time. Anybody look forward to the day when we get to use the, the good bread and juice? Amen. So this, Jesus said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. And so as we partake of this bread, we're reminded of the cross where Jesus gave his body for us. Let's see. Father, we want to just take a moment and say thanks. We can get caught up in pulling off of some plastic and get distracted by things around us and, and, and fail to remember that your body was no little thing that you did for us. And you allowed man to mock you and punch you and put crowns of thorns on your head and whip you, drive nails into your hands and feet and, and hang on the cross for, for sinners. And we're humbled that you would do that for us. God, you're the creator of the world and everything's under your hand and, and yet you would love us enough to come and rescue us from hell. And so we want to remember your sacrifice and offer you praise with our lips. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you'll remove that bottom tab carefully. We know this is juice, but this juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus shed his blood that you and I might be saved. Let us drink. Amen. Will you stand with me? And uh, we'll go out in song. I, let me pray and and we'll sing. Our deacons will dismiss us from the back. But uh, the disciples went out that night singing. And uh, that's the, a great way to go out. So Lord, thank you for the cross. The gift of eternal life that Jesus has provided for us. We want to remember and proclaim and even look forward to the day when we get to celebrate again with you. In glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.